Merry Christmas, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about the largest industry in our state, agriculture. On this Christmas version of Ag and NC, we revisit Party Christmas Tree Farms. And, of course, we chat with our own Jeff Turner. That in a moment. Ag and NC is made possible by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Find links to those folks on our website, agandnc.com. You're listening to Ag and NC on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. Jeff Turner is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Ag and my co-host on the program. Merry Christmas, Mr. Turner. And Merry Christmas to you, Dan. I I got to tell you, the fat man came. <laughs> did, did, was uh, was Santa good to you? At least the, the the good thing about it is, under the Biden administration, you can't you can't do coal anymore. I think they're going to leave me a, a, something else that nobody wants, and that's a that's a an, an EV of some sort. A, an <laughs> in your stocking, vehicle. you're going to have a lithium-ion battery in the toe of your stocking. Yep. Or you did, that's right? exactly right. Yeah. Because I, no coal for you under the Biden administration. Men of a certain age are very difficult to buy for. So God bless the women, the children, and all the folks who try to buy us gifts. Uh, I'd say they did pretty good this year. Yep, for the boy I've been, I, I suspect I fared pretty well. Do your family have any uh, Christmas traditions that um, I mean I, I I will I will share that I grew up in a in a family that celebrated Dutch and we always had Christmas Christmas Eve uh, Santa came for the children on Christmas morning but other than that it was gift exchange Christmas Eve I miss that because that's not something that uh, um, <laughs> that's not the way it works in my wife's family which is what we follow when Josh and then Jake came along uh, at at our house. Linda and I had traveled all those years before we had kids. Mm-hmm. We were always going to someone else's home, and and uh, we uh, I, I I made a proclamation: if you want to see us at Christmas, we'll be home with our kids. You're welcome to come. And so, from that point on, we always had Christmas breakfast at our house and the gifts and that sort of thing. And and so, grandkids have come along, and things have changed. Mm-hmm. And I've explained to Josh and Brooke that you know. You need to be home with your kids on Christmas. We'll see you Christmas days. So you're uh, on the road today. Yes, yes. Hey, let's talk about 2023. It's not quite in the rearview mirror yet, but we'll take this week's program and next week's program kind of hit a couple of issues that have been issues. Last year at this time, and really, really all of the COVID situation, input prices were crazy. 2023 saw a little respite in that. Fertilizer prices were more, not back to normal, but closer to normal. Gas, diesel prices actually closer to where they had been, not quite at pre-pandemic levels. But inflation now is knocked down a bit. But still, it, it just means that things aren't getting higher. They are high. I read somewhere the other day, if you go back and kind of reflect a little bit, I think in 2022, uh, the inputs for an acre of corn were over $900. And uh, in 23, I think it was well below 900. And, and maybe 2024 is going to be down a bit from 2023. Uh, in fact, I, I saw one estimate that uh, maybe may around 850 bucks an acre to put an acre of corn in. And, you know, a lot of folks don't understand not only the expense of planting a crop, but obviously you have to deal with the weather and the 
you know, the commodity prices, all those things, and, and the pressure that farmers are under, an acre of corn having 850 bucks invested in, that's pretty big. Well, in some areas of farming, the risk has been diminished by contract growing so forth. But in the case of a lot of row crops, you, you, you can get crop insurance, but the reality is is that it's just you and Mother Nature sitting at the poker table. Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's going to the casino every morning, every day. Coming up, we talk Christmas trees on Ag and NC. Bill Carone Cars in Wallace is the only Chevy GMC dealer in eastern North Carolina to become an Ag Pack dealer, which means that any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings on products you probably already use, everything from crop products to tires. Check out the advantages of the Ag Pack program at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace or online at BillCaroneGM.com. Carrie Sheffis McLean is the COO of Hearty Tree Farm in Ash County, way up in Grassy Creek near the Virginia border, and she joins us this morning. Is it chilly in uh, in Ash County today, or I am in Ash County, and it is chilly. Yeah, but you know, it's good for business when it's a little chilly, isn't it? It is great when it's chilly because it is always better when the trees, the Christmas trees, have had a chance to go dormant before we cut them. Oh, so when it gets cold. We're happy that, you know, at least it's good for the trees. So how does that work? They shut down and uh, do they throw up a flare? How do you know? (laughs) You don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's just your best guess. We've had researchers that do study and they, you know, studies on it. And they say generally you had so many days in a row where the nighttime temperatures have gotten down to about 40 degrees then you can probably safely say that the trees have gone into dormancy. Let's jump back in time to the moment that you personally realized you want to get into the Christmas tree business. (laughs) Huh. My father has been growing Christmas trees since 1976. He started growing Christmas trees in Hart, Michigan. Um, And that is because he grew up in Chicago. He grew up selling Christmas trees. In front of the family home, they lived on a busy street in the city of Chicago, and he grew up selling Christmas trees there. It was just one of the side businesses that my my grandfather had going on. So my dad grew up doing that, and then as he got older, he continued to have his own tree lots. Eventually, he decided he wanted to grow his own trees so he was, you know, he could control his product. He knew what he was going to get. Started growing in Michigan in 1976 then moved the farming operation to North Carolina to grow Fraser fir Christmas trees in their native mountain home. At some point around 2011, I got into the family business, but that's because my uh, my dad and my brother weren't getting along, and I thought I would try to come in and mediate. And I, I know that anybody who's part of a family business can relate to that. So that's how I got involved. Wait, wait, wait. How many siblings do you have? I'm the two, and I'm the older one. Okay, so you're the perfect child, and your brother's the rebel. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to laugh about that, because he might listen to this radio broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. You, know, you were, at the point you decided to get back in the farming operation, you were married, had you had kids yet? And I mean, you just don't, you weren't living in western North Carolina at that point, right? No, I actually was living in Chicago. My husband and I, um, I had, I was married. But we had we had both been in seminary, actually. We were both getting a master's in divinity at a seminary in Chicago. And we met and got married, and the plan was we were going to go co-pastor somewhere. 
But, you know, I look back and I'm like, why did I think I could mediate <laughs> between my dad and my brother? You had a calling. You just didn't realize this was your calling. Yeah, exactly. I, I had a calling. I didn't know it was the Christmas trees. But we moved here in June 2011. By that time, I had a three-month-old. So we had our first first child. I came in June 20, 2011, and my brother left in January. And he did something else for a little while. But now, yeah, he's back. So this has been now, you know, that was like 10 years ago. And and I know anybody in farming, you know, understands what family businesses are like. Um, and I've met farmers all over the state of North Carolina. And so I can now safely say, I mean, when I first got involved with the family business, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, our family is so dysfunctional. But then I realized, oh, no, our family is just very normal <laughs> for a family business. You know, my brother is actually back. He We have Christmas tree lots in Florida, which we've had uh, since the 1980 since 1980 my dad um, and my mom have had tree lots in Florida and so he's on that end and then I'm at the farm it ended up my my husband found a church in the area and we really loved the church and we knew how lucky we were to find a church that we really loved we had other friends from seminary who were not so lucky you know in environments that they really didn't like so we knew that, you know, having a position that he really loved at a church was something to be grateful for and to and to to cherish and not take lightly. So, farmer and pastor's wife—that's a—that's a tough mix, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it's been really fun. I mean, I you know, it was new. I didn't grow up near the farming business, so it that was very new to me. But honestly, it was new to my dad too. You know, he tells stories about. You know, when he got into Christmas tree farming, he's like, I don't know, I would go to these meetings, but I couldn't understand a word they were saying. You know, they're talking about soil pH and, you know, all of this stuff. He's like, I just thought you dug a hole in the ground and you stuck a tree in it and then it grew. There's a little bit of a common thread between the generations here on our farm where we didn't really start off as farmers. So I couldn't figure out the whole Florida connection. How did that come about? My dad went to go play baseball at University of Miami. So he went to University of Miami, graduated there, played baseball. And while he was down there, he just decided that Florida was better better weather to sell Christmas trees in than Chicago. Tell us about the farm itself. How many how many acres and under cultivation? And tell us a little bit about your business. So I've been part of an agricultural leadership program in North Carolina, and so I've gotten to meet farmers, you know, all over the state. And one thing I learned in talking to those other farmers is I think we are the only farmers in the state, Christmas tree farmers, that do not farm in acres. We farm in number of trees. So people will constantly ask me, how many acres do you have? And I'm like, I, I don't, nobody here talks about acres. You so, sell, you sell trees. You don't sell acres. I got it. So. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. true. I just think that's interesting. Your father came from this from the marketing angle into the farming angle. That's probably some of that. And it makes perfect sense. And then the other thing, though, is they don't want to tell you how many trees they harvest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll take my question back. (laughs) How's that? No, but it's it's substantial. It's substantial. We'll just say it's a substantial marketing program. Any anytime I go to a North Carolina Christmas Tree Association meeting, I'm always part of the major growers. During the process, the growing process, I, I assume that you have to go in, I phrase your furs, you have to do quite a bit of shaping. Yes, yeah, so the trees have to be trimmed every year. By the time the consumer gets it, in this case, Boca Tone, South Florida, Miami area, the tree's probably been touched a hundred times. Yes, because it's really difficult to do any mechanized farming here in the mountains. 
everything pretty much is done by hand. And so, you know, planting the tree, the trees have to be trimmed every year. You know, if you're doing any sort of fertilization, if you're doing, you know, any sort of, you know, pest management or weed control, and then harvesting is all by hand as well. Yeah, very little mechanization. Did your dad start out with another genus of tree and then just wander on to Fraser Fir and go, this is just a superior product? Or how did you, uh, and I assume you're not 100% Fraser Fir? Pretty much, yeah. So anybody in Western North Carolina farming Christmas trees is pretty much 100% Fraser Fir. If they're farming something else, it's usually because they're trying to, they're, they're farming in an area that where the Fraser Fir won't grow. That is how he ended up here was because of the Fraser. Because the Fraser, the Fraser fir was a little bit later to market than other tree varieties. So in Michigan, he was farming Douglas fir and he was farming Scotch pine, which, I mean, Scotch pine feels really retro. <laughs> we actually have some Scotch pine right now growing on our farm and they're really difficult to get rid of. And I, I keep saying, well, if we call them retro, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be easier to get rid of them. The Fraser fir in, in North Carolina, they started, I mean, people started growing Fraser fir for use as a Christmas tree, I think, you know, in the 1950s, 1960s, but it really didn't take off in popularity until like the late 70s and then the 80s. And so by the time, you know, my dad actually started selling trees in Florida in 1980, I mean, he had to, he, he was, he came through North Carolina on a buying trip because the North, the Fraser fir, had become so popular that you you had to sell it. You couldn't have tree lots and not sell Fraser fir. And so he was here looking for Fraser fir to buy, and then he fell in love with a farm that that didn't have any trees on it, and bought the farm with the intention of raising Fraser fir. And then, you know, once he did that and started raising Fraser firs, there was no reason to to grow any other kind of tree. I can't imagine the difficulty of managing a seasonal business the size that you all have. I mean, how many locations in the Miami Boca Raton area do you have? So this year it's about 13. We do not have as many trees to sell, and so we've had to shrink it a bit. But at one point in time, he had up to 30 locations. We talk on this program all the time about help and getting staffing. How do you handle that many locations that far out? You know, pretty early on in their, you know, having tree lots, they got hooked up with a, a couple who were work campers. And these are people that are full-time RVers. And they got hooked up with that population of people pretty early on. And so that's who they draw from to manage each each Christmas tree location. A lot of people who are full-time RVers, you know, they want to be in Florida in the winter. You know, they'll come down and over the years, you know, we've gotten a little bit more sophisticated in, in how we do that operation in Florida. But they come, we train them. Many of them are veteran, but, you know, like with anything that's seasonal, there's probably about a 25% turnover every year. Come down and train them. Then they manage the lots for a month to six weeks. We're talking with Carrie McLean, CEO of Hearty Tree Farms in Grassy Creek, North Carolina. Jeff? Do you see a lot of folks, I mean, the diversification piece, people who farm, maybe there, I mean, there's quite a few poultry houses in your area. Do, do you have folks that are growing in this business today or is it kind of steady? Um, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I will say I don't think a lot of Christmas tree farmers are diversified into livestock, you know, maybe some, but not as common. 
I think there's a lot of consolidation going on. I think especially over the last few years, there's been a lot of changes in the market and the inventory of trees has been tighter the last few years. So we're getting a really good dollar for the trees. And I think some people, you know, were like, let's just sell and be, be done. There's some transfer of farms to the next generation, some grooming of the next generation, consolidation, retirement. And I think some new people getting in, it it can be cost prohibitive to get into tree farming. Even a lot of the current growers got into tree farming because their families were already farming something, you know, and so they had the resources to try tree farming. Eventually, when they were able to, to sell their product, then they could, you know, expand and increase. But I think to just come into tree farming. I mean, you take care of those trees for eight to 10 years before they come to market. So it, it can be cost prohibitive as a new new person entering the business. And that is something that tree farmers here talk about is how can we help new people in the business because we do need new people in the business. As dairy herds were under 100 cows milk and you, you can't make a profit at it easily, uh, I see that folks mm-hmm. were like, hey, I've got the acreage. I still want to stay on the farm. I'll try tree farming. And maybe Fraser Ferd saved a lot of that. Absolutely. And I really, that was one thing that when I moved here and got to know other tree farmers and got to know more about the history of the business, like that is absolutely. And in fact, I didn't mention one of the things that we have in our store um, is a Christmas tree education center because I, the story of the Fraser Fir, I'm just very passionate about telling it and how it did save a lot of family farms here in Western North Carolina. Well, even though we've selected our tree for this year, our home state pride has to say a lot about the Fraser Fir. So at least for today, you can act as the public relations person for Fraser Fir. Sure. One of the reasons why this, you know, Fraser Fir became this booming industry in Western North Carolina is the tree itself. And yes, so I'm very passionate about, especially people in North Carolina being very proud of this North Carolina Fraser Fir. And, and so first of all, North Carolina, the Fraser Fir, its native range is the Southern Appalachian Mountains. And it is the only seed source for Fraser Fir. So other varieties, you can go to other places and get, you know, seeds from a variety of places, maybe across the country. But Fraser Fir, the seed source is, is here in the Southern Appalachian Mountains. Um, so it is a true native tree. But what makes it such a good Christmas tree is that it has got a beautiful natural color. You know, even in the winter, there's some evergreen varieties that will yellow a bit or, you know, be a little bit off color. Fraser fir is just beautiful any time of year. It has soft needles, so it's not prickly. It has a beautiful scent, smells really, really good. It's got sturdy branches so that you can hang heavy ornaments on it, you know, as, as opposed to a variety like a white pine that's very beautiful, but, you know, you can only put very light ornaments on it, not something heavy. Beyond all that, which is, is just amazing as a Christmas tree, the Fraser fir has excellent needle retention. It retains a lot of moisture. We get a lot of rain here in the southern Appalachian Mountains, so it's a tree that retain, retains a lot of moisture, which means that when you cut it, it's going to be fresher longer. And Fraser fir, even when it starts to dry out, unlike some other varieties, which the needles will just drop when it dries, Fraser fir will hold on to its needles and kind of petrify almost. And so, obviously, in a Christmas tree is, I mean, you want something that's going to hold on to its needles and it's going to stay fresh for a very long time, especially as the Christmas tree industry is getting pressured to cut their trees earlier and earlier and have them in stores earlier and earlier. And Fraser fir also grows about a foot a year, so you can get it to market 
quicker than maybe another variety that would have some of the same characteristics as Fraser fir. So it's it's absolutely irreplaceable in the in in Western North Carolina tree farms. There are some other varieties that are are good varieties. We grow some Turkish fir and Nordman fir where Fraser fir won't grow. But here in our region, they bud out too early and can get frost damage. So it takes a lot longer for those varieties to grow in our area because there are some years where they don't get to because their new growth has, has died. In my family, my parents never took a tree down before New Year's, just usually New Year's Day. How do we hang on to them that long? Sure. And I would say just a lot, just water. Make sure that your tree has fresh water, has water, and then it should be good to go. Give us the website to find out more, even though Christmas is over, we can find out more about Hearty Tree. The farm website is hearttreefarms.com. The store website is the old store at grassycreek.com. So one or the other and find information about us. Carrie, thank you so much for your time today. (laughs) Thank you. It was good to talk to you guys. Carrie McLean is the COO of Hearty Tree Farm. And that's the Christmas edition of Ag and NC. Subscribe to our longer free podcast version on Apple or Spotify or download the IBX Media app. Details on all that and links to our sponsors on our website, agandnc.com. Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner, myself, Dan Miller, make it a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.